Hello and welcome to BZ Listening. I'm your host, BZ Douglas, and today kicks off a new series on the show that I call Personal Days, where I focus on a topic that hits close to home for me. And this first one is on trans rights and acceptance, uh, because this year my brother Carl has come to the realization that he wishes to transition into becoming my sister, Valoria. Uh, my discussion with Valoria, which is essentially the first conversation she and I have about her transition, will be coming out tomorrow. Uh, but before I reached out to my sibling, I contacted an old friend of mine from high school, Sarah Kaplan. Sarah is the proud mother of two trans children and, as such, is a vociferous advocate for trans rights. I wanted to understand what she has been learning going through the process of helping her children transition and how I can be a good brother to my new sister. Check out the footnotes for this episode to find links to a San Francisco Chronicle article profiling Sarah and her family, Sarah's site, Public Display of Self-Love, and there'll also be links to organizations that you can connect with to further trans rights. Um, that's about it. I'm going to get right into my conversation with Sarah. Uh, thank you for listening, and please come back again tomorrow for part two. Cool. So uh, I'm on uh, with Sarah Kaplan, an old high school friend of mine, and I really want to thank you for taking the time Uh we were catching up a little bit, but yeah, I wanted to hear more about what have you been doing um, with uh, this, the public display of self-love page, which is how I first started you, you, like I said, coming onto my social media radar again with that project. What was that? Yeah, that was me surviving kidney cancer and feeling like I was a waste of space and not really, um, feeling worthy of surviving cancer and um, felt like I was kind of eating myself to death and not being a good role model to my children. And I was really scared and came up with this plan of kind of putting my intentions and my pain and everything out there and setting some goals and using social media as a way to stay accountable to myself and to my goals. And so I made a year long commitment and um, was really into it and had a lot of success in terms of, you know, really changing how I think about myself and how I speak about myself, not just outwardly, but more in my head. And um, it was amazing. And I felt like the reason that I went through that process was to become a better mom and you know I felt like the more I learned to take care of myself the better I showed up for everybody in my life um, I just had more bandwidth and then that morphed into finding out that my oldest child was transgender and so it then became really tricky because I had been sharing a lot about my life um, on a daily basis and all of a sudden I felt like I was more in crisis initially um, and needed to like kind of stop that focus and educate myself about gender because I really was clueless. And, so how and old, so, um, how old was, uh, how old was, uh, your child? Uh, is this is James? Yeah. So this is James. And, and yeah, when that, um, when that first was, happened, how, and how did that, how did you first, did, were there signs that in you, you know, however he first told you 
then were there signs that you look back on and you're like, oh, how did I miss that? Or what was that process like when it yeah, first happened? He, he was in second grade. He was eight years old. And he, for about six months prior to finding out um, that he was trans, he had been saying things like, I feel like I'm half boy, half girl, half gorilla. And I thought, oh, well, you're not good at math, just like your mom, you know, and kind of blew it off. And he was somebody, he still is somebody who um, is a people pleaser and placator and is, definitely goes along with everything more and doesn't like to rock the boat. So when he started asking if he could grab some boy, quote unquote, boy stuff from Target, you know, some superhero things. It all of a sudden seemed like he was shifting into liking superheroes. We were saying yes and not making a big deal about it, but also not making a big deal about it. Like we didn't get it. And so he even said at one point to my husband that um, he feels like he has a boy inside of him. And and my husband was like, oh, yeah, I have feminine stuff inside of me. And again, really just not hearing what James was trying to say. And he didn't use the word um, transgender at that point. So we weren't, you know, ignoring the word, but we kind of were ostriches with our head in the sand. Um, and then when I went to go pick him up one day from school, uh, he told me along with his teachers that his inner person was a boy and that he wanted to get a boy haircut and boy clothes and use he and him pronouns. And, and so we were like off and running immediately in terms of him wanting to, that all of that is called a social transition. So he wanted to socially transition immediately. And for him, he had felt like he had kind of known this about himself for a year. So he felt like he had a secret for the last year. And, and did so you really, did you mm-hmm. discover that he had done some of his own research ahead of this, like, you know, n- like knowing what this was um, and new things that you didn't about himself from f- trying to figure out what was going on? Or uh, was it a process of discovering what this was together when he just named it? So he named it and there was one other child in the school that he knew of that was um, that had transitioned somewhat at school. Uh, It wasn't it was something that this child was like playing with kind of and experimenting with. And so he was aware of that. But because of his young age, he wasn't really on the computer to Google, whereas right now, if he was coming out at 11, you know, it would be really different. And that's the story that I hear from most of my friends who have definitely teenagers and older that they come the the child or young adult comes to the parent and they not only are saying that they're transgender but that they are doing x y and z or want to do x y and z and like do it quickly and it's very difficult transition for the parents because their heads are spinning and they're probably somewhat potentially ignorant like I was in terms of gender. And so they really need to catch up quickly with their child. So when you came into uh, having to learn about the, the world of, of gender uh, fluidity and and all, all just all the terms and the gradations, uh, the gradations of this, what, kind of smacked you in the face first as as far as realizing the like what you didn't know yeah it's a great question um so the very first night i borrowed a book from a friend called the transgender child and essentially read the whole book that night 
felt like I pulled an all-nighter. Um, I skimmed a little bit where it got into medical intervention stuff because uh, obviously I wasn't there. But the things that jumped out right away were just the statistics of what happens to um, people if you're not supportive of this. Um, the, the statistics of suicide are so high and um, self-harm and, um, you know, homelessness and having a more difficulty getting a job. And it, it was some hard statistics to read about um, and to have any kind of feeling of like, this is a positive thing. It just felt scary and really um, gray and unknown. And um, as a parent, you're trying to prepare your child for this world and you don't, you want them to be themselves, but you also want them to be safe. And so reading about something that's just a major bullseye potentially on your child was really scary. And I think that a lot of parents get stuck there and get stuck worrying about what other people are going to think or say or do. And it's really hard for them to really hear what their child or, you know, the person in their life is telling them. I mean, in your shoes, if nothing else, I think one thing I would, my, my, you know, when I put myself there, I would feel to some degree, at least glad that I, I found out early. Like if my kid came to that realization and, and I, I was the type of parent that they felt comfortable coming forward to tell me this thing about them so that I can be the support they'd need to, you know, for the world that's they're going to go into. If, if that's how they need to navigate it, I would at least feel, you know, glad about knowing that I'm in it early as much as it complicates being a parent. Absolutely. And I really credit my public display of self love for giving me a lot of those skills and tools because I did care a lot about what other people thought prior to that journey and through that journey really just getting comfortable with my own love and acceptance is what makes and breaks me and my own like self-harm is what breaks me um that I could be my own worst enemy and and just really like I think talking kindly about my body and myself and and also my kids maybe being able to see that I was able to change something that was hard for me was potentially inspiring for James in thinking about, you know, that he could also change to be who he is. So, you know, I, I do think that that was really helpful on numerous levels and um, I'm grateful for, for that work. So um, how did your circle of friends and family react? Did you have any um, anything difficult to deal with there? So luckily we're in Berkeley, California. So overall our experience has been extremely privileged and lucky. Um, however, we have a relative who is in their 90s and it was very difficult for um a great grandmother for her to get her head around this. And she wrote us letters saying that we really were doing the wrong thing and that this was potentially because James was overweight and that he would feel more comfortable being a boy and that it, you know, we really as the parents should not be allowing it. Um, and so we threw away the letter and James was never, you know, in on that period of time when his great grandmother wasn't on board. And luckily she, 
we just didn't get together until she got it together and saw that this is who our child is and that we needed to use the right name and the right pronouns. And she did. And she's gotten on board and she jumped on board with the second trans child as well. That's great. Now, have there been any legal hurdles that you've had to overcome with this change in your family? So we went ahead and did a name and gender change for both kids legally. And now I'm in a period where I need to get all new like birth certificates and social security um, cards printed and then passports and then make sure the insurance switches so that way they can be called the correct name at the appointments. So that's all still work that is on my to-do list. And really like in if I'm shitting myself, like it should have been done a long time ago. Um, and it took, it, we just did the name change within the last year. So I, that's on my absolute soon going to get it done list. Um, so just things like that, that you like right now, we couldn't travel outside the country. It would, it would be very hard because they have a legally changed name, but they don't have any identification for that. So. Mm. Yeah. And, so we won't be going to Mexico or any place anytime soon. <laughs> Has um, being a, an activist parent, adding that into your identity, has that, how is that, how have you been navigating that? Because I know it's a strange place. Uh, Deb and I were uh, living in New York when Occupy happened and we got pretty involved in that. And then there were other things too. And we'd like bring kids and, uh, then there'd be like a photo of us online in a news story and people are like, I can't believe you're indoctrinating your kids with your beliefs or something like that. And, and it's just crazy. Cause it's like, isn't that all you do with children is indoctrinate them with your beliefs. Right. Well, they're always watching. They're such sponges. So yeah, whatever you're doing, they're taking it in, which is what kind of initiated that whole thing for me in terms of wanting to be a good role model. Um, it's funny, my child asked me what the interview was for today when I said I was going to my office and doing this. And and she said, oh, it's because you're, you know how to get along with trans people. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, and a lot of people just aren't knowledgeable. And um, so it's good to help educate. Yeah. So I've really, um, I've really gotten behind being an advocate because I'm not just trying to help my kids specifically or even my my community because again we're really fortunate to be in Berkeley but there's so many people since I've lived in Florida and I've lived in Ohio and you know I'm connected to a lot of other people in different places I've traveled a lot throughout the world and I just know that people haven't had this education and are you know ignorant but potentially not like you know out of, on any fault of their own and they just don't have trans people in their life and they don't have trans kids in their school that are out and they don't know that they may have trans people in their life and and so because of that um now since i've been so vocal I, i'm grateful that people think of me when they do hear of somebody um as a resource because i just think that uh, just with a little bit of education, you can really see and get that this is the, you know, this is not a choice. No, no person would want to choose this, um, 
this past. No, it's I mean, because that's the same thing I remember, you know, like the when that argument would ever get trotted out, like, you know, say anything about uh, homosexuality. It's like, why would anyone choose that in the in a world where it's so severely persecuted? Or there were things like and I'm sure it'll get this it'll get extended to trans people who want to adopt is saying, I don't think it's fair that they're going to raise their kids to be trans. Same way they'd say, I don't, I don't think it's fair right. that gays should raise their kids to be gay. And I remember a uh, boss said that to me and I said, wait a minute, there isn't a single gay person living on this planet right now who is like for the, or for the most part who came out of a gay marriage and was raised to be gay. If anything, they were all raised to be straight. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah, the logic just isn't there. I mean, I get comments. That that actually leads, I wanted to ask you about what are some of the, because I've seen, you know, fear-mongering, like, anti-trans videos that will specifically, like, you know, call out the boogeyman of, like, children being, you know, uh, encouraged to get these uh, irreversible surgeries at such young age ages and things like that. And I'm just curious, uh, what are what are the like types of um, BS arguments do you see like that, and, and and what's the the pushback against them? Right. So lots of times they sensationalize um, articles and say that you know, even for me that uh, the that my daughter turned into my son. Well, no, he's always been my son. I didn't know. Um, And that leads people to believe that there's been some kind of medical intervention, which isn't true. He's only socially transitioned, which again, whereas the hair and clothing and pronouns and name, that's not a medical transition. The first time, you know, a medical transition potentially is happening is right at Tanner stage two in puberty, where there would be blockers but blockers aren't permanent so the very first time something permanent could be happening is like at the youngest age of 14 so you know to think that these two-year-olds four-year-olds six-year-olds who are coming forward saying this is who i am are having medical interventions or anything like that's crazy i've also heard that you know this is me i want attention i'm seeking this out because of that or that i'm you know that a mother is Ill, um, well, I'm sure all of the attention you've gotten for this has been positive and good, right? There's been no bad attention that's come from this. No, there, I wouldn't say that. There are. There I, I, I was I was being right. sarcastic if okay, that didn't yeah. transmit. Just <laughs> just knowing how awful like people on the internet can be, I can't imagine. Yeah. No, for sure. But I mean, it has been because of being in Berkeley. It has been positive, and again, even people reaching out, there is positive pieces of this but in terms of the hate that people feel free to give uh, online is crazy and unfortunately some people weren't just online they were IRL friends um, you know through my husband and I that just through the community of people who were very clear that this isn't okay with them and they feel like we're doing the wrong thing in terms of supporting our child and and definitely there's another level of also being public about it even our family initially because we worked with the san francisco chronicle on a big story that they were with us for almost a year um creating the story uh, or watching us to create the story um it, you know, my, my parents had hesitation just because the kids are so young and the quote unquote, like, what if they changed their mind? Like, what would happen? And, you know, at the time 
what I'd say about this is you asked me earlier about, you know, how's this changed? Like as being a parent, like no parent knows what's going to happen to their kid. If their kids, who's going to bully their kid, who's going to love their kid. If their kid's going to want to have children, if their kid's going to be able to have children, like none of us have a crystal ball that tells us that at this point. And what's scary for a parent of a trans child or a non-binary child is that we're, making decisions with our children and with our doctors to, to, you know, for instance, block puberty. And so that's a big choice. And most people don't aren't needing to make decisions without that kind of crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, and the reason that um, this topic also came up for me is uh, I think as I, I mentioned briefly, my, so my brother recently, uh, he's very, um, he can be a hermit. He can be hard to like keep tabs on in general. But then, you know, on Instagram, all of a sudden we see, you know, he's posted a, a, per, a picture of himself and he's a, a beautiful lady. And then um, finally, like, you know, and we just won't hear from him for a long time. We, like he, he's just bad about keeping in touch. Finally, um, get in touch with him and, and uh, we were hanging out probably for someone's birthday and uh, I finally got to ask him about it. I'm like, so what? What is going on? Or is this um, drag, or are you? Is this something you've always sort of felt, and you're just now expressing? And um, I was not aware of like, what, and and he's still exploring this too. That's kind of why I talked to you before I talked to him because I was interested in learning about this from you, and then talking with him because he said there's a lot of questions he hasn't even asked himself. But one thing he said about it is what basically happened is he uh, he he dressed as a woman for like this this big, uh, you know, event at a, at a gay bar and he just loved it. And he says what he experiences is not gender dysphoria, but gender euphor uh, euphoria. And I was never aware right. of this term. And um, I, you know, and. So it's like where it's hitting for me is it doesn't sound like he's been struggling like his whole life and, and felt like society has kept him from fully expressing himself. But now he's feeling freer to explore this thing, which is beautiful. But it, it's it's like I said, it's this interesting gradation of of struggle within trans communities where you have kids just trying to navigate, be allowed to express themselves as how they feel honestly and, 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 and it's, it's more of like this life or death thing. And my brother, he's like, well, I dress as a woman whenever, you know, whenever I feel like it, he also, he can pass very well for whatever that means. And, but, and he, his family, you know, we're not really, no one's ostracizing him. Um, it's maybe like my mom's like, what is going on? <laughs> but, um, it seems like it's a different, he doesn't have that same level of struggle and I it just, it's you know like any issue it's like when it when it's finally there's someone that's close to you then you start looking at it in a different light and I certainly like you know the number one thing that does come to mind is just like well I would really hate it because he's in southern Ohio he's in Dayton Ohio it's not necessarily like metropolitan is Columbus or something like that and if the the wrong hateful person you know sees him now I you know that's in me where I worry about him right um, has your sibling requested to use a different name or pronoun yet? That's probably going to come up when I talk to him later this week. Is just like, so are you at a point where you're starting to feel like you want to identify as another name? And and uh, cause I think I asked him that before, and he's like, I don't really, no, I'm not really there yet. 
Mm-hmm. But he did say that, like, pretty much, when, um, except when he comes to like meet up with me and my mom, and I think it's like it, it's it's less my mom than um, my stepdad, and I don't know if they're, I'm outing any tension between them because he probably won't listen to the podcast, but she does. Um, that was why I was interested in having this episode too. Is like so my mom, get, you know, can be like, oh, here, let me look in, you know, look into this family issue. Um, but sure. he's a more conservative and more like what. <laughs> I don't think he would be be really hateful of it, but he certainly is just like not doesn't seem comfortable with it. And since my you know, and then my brother's sort of just like going along to get along to please people. So I don't know if this is ever really going to become a point of tension in my family or not. Um, but at the same time, I don't like to just ignore it and be like, well, he does that and we don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm excited for you to talk to them and see if there's a pronoun that they're willing to share because I'm assuming if they're going out and, you know, um, presenting as a woman passing, then they, they probably are using a name and um, female pronouns. And it might be hard to share that with family. Um, but if you, you know, that's one of the most important things that people can do. That's really easy just to show a sign of support because it really does make a big difference in their mental health. Um, and I, I definitely have met people and read about people that um, realize and, you know, have the the coming out feeling or knowledge for themselves and for others at all different stages of and ages. So there's no, like, one or right way to, like, do it. Um, although most people that I'm as friendly with and close to are, you know, dealing with children. And so we are used to just young younger kids. Um, but when I've read about it, the different there's red flags that go off at various times and ages um, based on hormones, and that with a surge of hormones that those red flags could go off. And for my oldest, for James, it was um, eight, and that's the common time for trans boys because there's a surge of like prepubescent hormones that that could be indicate that red flag. Whereas with trans girls, you see it much younger, kind of in kindergarten. But I think there's something to that as well that it's much more upsetting for most people to see, you know, a, a child that they believe is male dressed in a dress versus a child they believe to be female dressed as a quote unquote tomboy. You know, we don't even have nice names like tomboy for a trans girl or for, you know, it doesn't, it's like sissy girl or it's nothing kind. Um and there's such conditioning in gender period for, you know, boys to suck it up and man it up and, you know, <laughs> those kind of mm-hmm. talk at six-year-olds who are just crying and feeling their feelings in a genuine way and has nothing to do with their gender. Um, and people really get confused because they don't know that gender and sexuality are completely different. Um, they think it's one and the same. And then most of the media portrayals of trans people have typically been that they're the victim or the villain. And so it's like what we've been shown in terms of this, you know, this small glimpse of um, people who are transgender or gender nonconforming is, is not pretty. And then you read statistics that, you know, how horrible it is for them. So again, like, Nobody's choosing this path. No parent would ever push their child to be on this path, you know. 
um, I, I've worked with an amazing woman called Diane Aronsaft, and she she's an expert in the field, and she um, has a few books out. One's called The Gender Creative Child, um, but she's an amazing resource, and she said, she's in the Bay Area, she said she used to have parents who came into her practice, and they're like, oh my gosh, my child, I think, is gay, and then, you know, fast forward, like, now 10 years, and oh no, like, I feel like my child's trans, and now the new scary is like, oh my gosh, my child's non-binary, they won't pick. Like they, they some days feel this way and some days feel that. And I just want them to pick. And because we're all so wanting everyone to fit nicely and neatly into boxes. It's also goddamn silly. So, silly. Yeah. Is <laughs> I can't help thinking, you know, just that that's, I mean, I, I before, like, you know, I, I really became aware of like social justice or, you know, was more like, you know, indignant about the, uh, the what what people face i just was always like why do people care like what people want to do you know even when people would try and say anything about like well homosexuality is a choice like even if you proved that it is why can't people make that choice i mean i feel like it comes down especially with transgender people and what probably scares the bejesus out of a lot of um people who aren't supportive is that these kids aren't going to have to go through the wrong puberty. And so my children, for example, really will look and be their authentic selves. And unless you're being intimate with one of them, you're not going to know what's in their pants, you know, which is how it should be. Um, And that that scares people because it comes back to like, you know, braille, male, you know, all those good fun things. And, homophobia and just being the fear of being attracted to a woman who you know has something that you're not expecting in their pants is like I feel like what a lot of the hate and fear is around and it's really sad that and just not enough like education to know even the basics of it you know gender is not the same as as your sexual identity or you know interest what do, what do you see as the most um, immediate um, threats on on the trans community right now? I know, you know, with Trump, there is the the military ban is moving forward, uh, and um, uh, bathroom litigation. As as an advocate, what what are you areas are you seeing as the front lines right now? I think schools, I mean, schools overall is our battleground to get our teachers, you know, being paid the right amount and then to also offer them enough education so that they can um, have good community classroom culture to um, have kids feel comfortable and be comfortable and have other kids be comfortable and knowledgeable. And then that can like, that'll change everything, right? If we have generations of children who actually are able to feel feelings and be validated in that and supported. And, you know, it's hard for teachers because they're trying to get so much done and they don't have the training. Um, And so I think that the fact that also the government's trying to just peel back uh, even more of like what's already been gained in the schools in terms of non-discrimination is a real struggle. I'm close friends with Gavin Grimm and watching him struggle with the, his case still going on and the fact that they still will not change his his transcripts 
cis a male and yet he has like legally changed everything else and if he was at that school he, right now as an adult he would be allowed to use the boys bathroom or the men's bathroom and that this case is still going on it's just it's disturbing so yeah i think the school it's a lot could be fixed in the schools and a lot can be a lot of damage can happen in schools and and so that's just the place that kind of everyone has to go and that we need to start anew and if there's programming at the school for adults to come in as well and so the kids can help lead the parents to the accepting it sounds like a really (laughs) big uh it sounds like a really big effort just because when i think of you know changing schools the way they are it's it's got a really kind of happen at the, all the, in these regional local levels, or it, it's hard to imagine how, you know, you can just wave a federal magic wand and fix this problem. No, you can't. It's, it's like district by district and state by state. And those fights are going on now all over. And, um, and they're crucial just because in areas like Ohio, trust me, there's transgender people and those kids and those families are, are there and they want to be able to be out and be themselves and not be scared, just like your sibling. And, you know, it's until this work is done nationally, you know, it doesn't matter that it's, it's better in Berkeley. If you just go 20 minutes outside of Berkeley, it's, it's closer to Ohio than it is Berkeley. So the work needs to be done here as well. So there's a lot of organizations doing that. Welcoming schools is amazing. They're doing a lot of work. Um, kind of recognizing all families are valid. You know, if you're being raised by two same um, sex or if you're being raised by a grandmother or your parent is incarcerated, just welcoming schools has a lot of great um, things to offer. So if you're listening and you can go to welcomingschools.org and um, they will actually do training at your school district and Gender Spectrum also does a lot and they're wonderful and they have a national approach as well. So I think that people are working really hard to kind of that's I feel like that's where we could really make change. Yeah. I always I, yeah. I it always feels like um you know some of the best activism I ever or the you know the most uh, effective thing I can do sometimes is just raising decent people. It always feels good. Yeah. You, you know with the boys the, they're Dominic's one of his uh best friends in in school. Uh, we took him over to um, hang out with him and his parents and he has two moms. And I think, I forget how it came up when we were like on our way there. We mentioned like, oh, he has two moms and Dom, Dom looks like, well, that's weird. And we're just like, no, it's not. They, they love each other. And they, it's like, why do you have two moms? Cause, Cause they're two people who love each other and they wanted to have a family. And, you know, right. and I remember it's, you know, hearing, you know, hearing that kind of, you know, straw man argument before I was a parent or someone would be like, what are you going to tell children about these sort of things? It's like, it's actually, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. I mean, I think it'll be harder to justify so why bad. that's a problem to my kids. <laughs> exactly. Kids get it so much quicker than adults do. And, and you can see it's like with my children, they've had conversations in their classroom where they've quote unquote come out in the beginning of the year with their class and shared with them that, they're, they're trans and what that means and and the kids are cool whatever what what do you want to do at recess and then it isn't until they go home and the parents hear about it and then all of a sudden the kid's weird all of a sudden the kid feels like they're in a horrible 
predicament because they are because they're now put in a position where they're being told this kid is your friend, your classmate, your peer, and this is totally fine and accepted. And then, you know, my kids hear something like, well, my church said that it's not okay because God wants you to be yourself. And my kid's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm being myself. Mm-hmm. Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> but that's not what they meant. <laughs> so uh, what is your advice for... Um... You know, someone like myself who's looking for the best way to to be a, a trans ally and um, to be uh, help help people feel uh, comfortable in themselves. As you said, um, you know, the first thing I'll do and find when I talk with uh, my my sibling is become more aware of just you know wh- what do you want? What do you want me to call you? Is there uh, anything else that is sort of like standard advice for people going, you know, looking to be a better trans ally? Totally. And since we know that, you know, hopefully your mom and maybe other family members of yours will listen to this potentially, I'd just be like, first, remember back to like the very beginning when all you wanted was a healthy kid and a healthy child. And like, that's when people ask, what what do you want, a boy or a girl? Like, it was all about just wanting a healthy, happy person. So we're getting in touch with that as a parent. Um, and really knowing, even as a sibling, that like, they're gender journey is not about you at all and it's about them being their authentic self and like doing your own work to get educated like what you're doing now reading everything and asking questions and really listening to the answers is really helpful because we don't want to have to put it on the person who's um going through this experience to do the educating like i feel like that's something that we can do on our own i've recently become aware of that um that advice that's that it's not just applicable to trans it's you know to so many different marginalized communities where you know it, it isn't on them to educate you if you're like just because your heart's in the right place and you're like exactly it's like, yeah and um because that that came up in like a, a discussion i was having with someone about like reparations and things like that and i was like well honestly i need, i don't know a lot about this like what maybe you know and and when so he did point me in the direction. It's like, well, you should read this thing I wrote, but also realize it's not my job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, and it's hard because you want to like ask them and quiz them. And, and the thing is everyone's different, right? Like learning about one trans person's experience is not going to give you a mm-hmm. overall sense of who you're talking to, you know, what they've gone through. Um, especially if there's other cross sections, you know, people of color who are trans have, such a harder you know a more difficult time than people who are white I and mean, it's just period you know and yeah specifically so it's you know i i've had to kind of respect that i have a lot of privilege and you know that i'm white and i'm cis and it's just and then to like find a, and create a safe space where you can have all of the feelings that you have that you know run the spectrum of of this transition but away from the person who's transitioning because that's not theirs that's yours and they have their own feelings that they're dealing with and so any kind of grief or confusion or fear anxiety like what you were saying for you know being worried about where he's where your sibling's living that you know you just really want to recognize that as your own and um and think of constructive ways for you to deal with that without kind of putting that on them. And 
I'm using they a lot. Obviously, I'm using it as like a singular pronoun at the moment, which is totally valid. And I don't think that's probably your sibling's uh, pronoun, but it's a good way until somebody like really is comfortable with one or if you don't know if you're talking to somebody you're not quite sure you can say what is your pronoun that's a great way just to ask up front and to say your pronoun not like preferred pronoun nobody asks you what your preferred pronoun is as a cis person Mm -hmm. so it's just their pronoun or what's your name and um again back to like the parent like you didn't create this you can't fix it you can't cure it or change it it's again not about you and that this is their real experience and so if we can just really believe them and listen to them then hopefully they'll keep sharing with you because you'll feel like a safe space for them and um, especially if you're doing your work on your own separately then I think that really keeps them feeling like safe and able to come back and talk to you. Well, Sarah, uh, that was really great. I want to thank you so much for taking the time and um, keep doing all the great work you're doing and the uh, public displays of self-love. Thanks, Brian. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, like any struggling podcast, I can always use a little iTunes love with a five-star rating or swing by the Facebook page, throw a like my way, maybe a couple of comments. And if you really, really like the show, you can kick a couple of bucks my way at patreon.com slash bzdug. That's B-Z-D-U-G. Okay, that's it. End of podcast. Enjoy whatever it is you're about to do next. Thanks. Bye.